This morning and next Sunday morning, we'll be dealing with a passage from 1 Corinthians that deals with the Lord's Supper communion occasionally, maybe every six, eight years, uh, take a little time to discuss communion and then after that have communion. But it also ties in with what we've been discussing in recent weeks on you know, caring for one another, being humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, and so on. And we're not discussing 1 Corinthians 11 because I think there is a division in the church because this passage mentions that, but just to remind us of God's design and the Lord's Supper. So a couple of thought questions, not looking for you to respond verbally. Why may some people die prematurely in a local church? Why may some people in a local church be sick? What is the Lord's Supper? How does a believer partake of the Lord's Supper or communion in an unworthy manner? What is the biblical method for preparing for the Lord's Supper? The believers in Corinth were abusing the Lord's Supper. Paul writes in order to rebuke these believers and to teach them how to correct their sin. And we'll be discussing 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 34. And as I studied this passage, I was impressed with the very serious nature of Paul's rebuke, Paul's instruction, and Paul's correction. And in this case, the abuse of the Lord's Supper was quite serious because some of the saints in Corinth had died, and some of them were physically sick as a result. And keep in mind, 1 Corinthians was written with a twofold purpose. Paul writes the first part of the book to answer, or rather to rebuke some of their sins. They were divided. They had immorality in the church. There were lawsuits between believers. There was loose living of licentiousness. Then the second part of the book, he's answering questions that they apparently raised. Questions concerning marriage, meat offered to idols, Paul's apostleship, God's judgment, spiritual gifts, the resurrection. And in chapter 11, he responds to some questions about God's judgment. Now, the conditions in Corinth, the city of Corinth, are very interesting. And an understanding of the conditions in the city of Corinth, I think, will help us to understand the book of Corinthians, some of the struggles faced by the Corinthian Christians. Corinth was a very wealthy city. It had a reputation for luxury. It was notorious for sexual licentiousness or loose living, having no rival as a city of vice. To live like a Corinthian resulted in a life of indecency, excessive indulgence, and sensual pleasure. The god of the city was Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Morris says about Corinth, and I quote, the ideal of the Corinthian was the reckless development of the individual, the merchant who made his gain by all and every means, the man of pleasure surrendering himself to every lust, the athlete steeled to every bodily exercise and proud of his physical strength, or the true, true Corinthian types, end of quote. In reality, the Corinthians recognized no superior and no law. 
but their own desires. An understanding of the worldview of help of Corinth helps us to grasp why the believers in Corinth yielded to divisions, accepting immorality, taking each other to court. But Paul desires for them to change, to be corrected. And in chapter 11, he deals with the issue of the Lord's Supper. In verses 17 through 22, he gives a rebuke concerning the Lord's Supper, what was happening. And then in verses 23 through 26, he gives a pattern for the Lord's Supper. And in verses 27 through 34, for their particular situation, he gives the correction for their abuse of the Lord's Supper. And again, the Corinthian church must have been one of the few churches that struggled with abuse of the Lord's Supper because it's the only book that mentions the abuse. It's the only book that goes back and gives the pattern for the Lord's Supper and how to correct it. Well, let's read the passage together. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place... I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Then we are judged, or when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directives. He begins by giving some rebuke concerning the Lord's Supper. 
And the historical background of a passage is always helpful in understanding it. And this paragraph is no exception. The Corinthians were composed primarily of Gentiles who would have had no understanding of the Jewish Passover and its purpose. However, Paul had taught them when he was in Corinth ministering according to Acts 18 and what is mentioned in verse 23. Now remember the Jewish Passover was a feast in which celebrated Jews coming out of Egypt, but it is in the context of the Jewish Passover that the Lord's Supper came because it was in the Jewish Passover that Jesus was celebrating with the twelve that he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. In Corinth, well, over two-thirds of the population were slaves. The believers in the local church at Corinth included slaves as well as the very wealthy. They were tempted and they often gave in to their desires to do their own thing. And that thinking influenced what happened when they came together with the Lord's Supper. In verse 17, he says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Now, encouragement and edification are to be part of believers gathering together. Ephesians 4 and verse 15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And that's in the context of body coming together to spur one another, to build one another up. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, preach your word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. In Hebrews 10.25, the writer there says, don't give up meeting together, but all the more, gather together to encourage one another. Apparently, when the believers in Corinth were coming together to celebrate what they called the Lord's Supper, Paul says, your meetings do more harm than good. In verse 18 and 19, he gives the reason. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. How did their meeting together cause harm rather than good? Well, Paul says when you come together, there are Divisions. Apparently the divisions in this passage are not the same divisions in chapter 1. In chapter 1, the divisions were, some said, I follow Paul, some follow Paulus, some say, I follow Peter, and others say, I follow Christ. There's no mention of that here uh, as being divisions. In this context... Notice what is happening. They come together, and there are differences. And in verse 20, when you come together, 
it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry while another gets drunk. Apparently what was happening, slave owners, wealthy people would come together. And they would have a full-fledged fellowship meal when they would come together for communion. You know, they'd bring, I don't know, a covered dish or whatever, bring their drink, and they would get together, have a meal, and in conjunction with the meal, they would have communion. Those who were wealthy apparently were coming early. Those who were slaves, because they didn't get off their job, would come later. And by the time those who came later, the wealthier people had already eaten and drank. And it says, you go ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. So we get together tonight. We're going to have a full-fledged love feast, a meal. Everyone brings a covered dish. But lo and behold, we know that some of you won't get there till six. The rest of us are coming at five. So the rest of us eat and we drink and you come at six and there's no food left. That's the division that apparently was taking place. He clearly says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. For each, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. So maybe the slaves brought very little food. We don't know. The context does not clearly stay, say, but there was a division that took place. And he says, it's not even the Lord's Supper that you're eating. So he raises a question, well, several questions. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? I think the obvious answer is yes. Well, if you're that hungry and you can't wait for the latecomers to get there, eat at home. He poses another question, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those that have nothing? The word despise means to discredit, to reject, or to disdain. Those that were there early and that were eating and drinking and they didn't wait on the others were despising, were disdaining those that would come later. And in the process, they got humiliated. They were shamed. They were, would blush. That's the idea. They were frustrated. The practice of the Corinthians showed contempt for God's church and pointed fun at the poor. He poses another question. What shall I say to you? What should he say? Can he praise them? No. 
Has he said, shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. So the sin, if you want to call it that, of the Corinthians was a division. Not recognizing the unity within the body of Christ. The haves, the have-nots, if you please. The rich, the poor, if you please. The bottom line, again, is relationships. And that's the essence of the body of Christ. I don't think the issue is that the Corinthians came together and they didn't have every single sin confessed. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is some people are coming early, they're eating, they're drinking. The people that come later don't have anything. So that's the sin in the passage. Other sins were already mentioned in 1 Corinthians, but they're not mentioned here. He specifically mentions the practice of the Corinthians where there's groups. A couple modern-day applications. In some churches, you might have the educated and the not-so-educated. And the educated are here and the uneducated are over here. You know, and they're just kind of a division. In some churches, it may be the style of schooling, public schools, private schools, home schools. So we have... Public schools, private schools, home schools. And, you know, they just kind of are not functioning as a unit. Or how about social status? Rejects over here. The halfway between here and the high flutin over here. And, now you can just kind of go your separate ways. How about the high tech and the low tech? You know... People walk around, and then there's other people who don't even own it. And the high-tech spend time with the high-tech, and the low-tech spend time with the low-tech, and they're just kind of a division there. Or how about political views? We won't go there. But there can be division. You know, just some thinking that we might do in relation to today. We may not have the same issue as the Corinthians, but he's talking about the body being divided. In verses 23 through 26, Paul apparently, when he was in Corinth, gave the pattern for the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Keep in mind the historical context. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he celebrated the Passover with the twelve. And this is what Christ refers to. This is my body. 
You know, he refers to the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. The Passover was a feast of remembrance. Remember, remembering for the Israelites, they're coming out of Egypt. When they were passed over because of the blood on the doors, the death angel passed over, whereas in Egypt, the firstborn died. So in the same way, the Lord's Supper is a meal of remembrance, remembering Christ and what he did through his body, through his blood. And the source of what Paul is sharing with the Corinthians in this passage and what he had shared with them when he was in Corinth itself came from Christ, for what I received from the Lord. No, that's what I passed unto you. And he says the pattern is bread. Bread is to be taken. Thanks to be given, and then the bread is broken. And then you partake of the bread. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you, and we'll come at more on that next week. In the same way, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Just as the Passover was a time of remembrance, communion, whenever a church partakes of communion, is a time of remembrance of what Christ did in the past. And we find that the purpose is clearly stated in the verses we looked at. It's to remember what took place in the past. It is a time of remembering. Now, next Sunday morning, we'll take the body and look at a couple passages. And we'll take the cup and look, look at a couple passages. But I want you to look at chapter 5 and verse 7. Why is this so significant to Paul? Why would some people have died? Why would some people be sick? Because of the abuse of the Lord's Supper. Look at chapter 5 and verse 6. This is in the context of expelling the immoral brother. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you already are. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Christ... Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He talks about a new batch, but it's singular. Look at chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. Let's go to chapter 12. I think that's... Well, we'll stay in chapter 10, then go to chapter 12. Therefore, in verse 14 of 1 
Corinthians 10. My dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? It is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Notice, participation in the body of Christ, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one loaf. Now, I would emphasize the one. Look at chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, he's talking about the physical body. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. What is true of the physical body? Many members, one body. He says that's the same is true of the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Then we come to chapter 11, or we look at chapter 11, and we find that the haves and the have-nots, those who can come early and those who come late, and not waiting on one another. And apparently it was a practice so serious that people had died. He said they are asleep and they're sick. Apparently God values... Christ values unity within the body of Christ. I mean, I read this passage and I think, a good many of us are sick, and some of us have died because of the abuse of the Lord's Supper. That's pretty serious and heavy-duty stuff. The bottom line was, he clearly states, that there were divisions. And the idea of divisions is sex. You know, there's factions. So he points out the problem, and then he gives the pattern. He says, that's not the way the Lord intended it. You know, there's a single body, you know. We're remembering Christ. And we'll pick up and explain verses 27 through the end of the chapter next week also, when Paul gives the correction to the abuse of the Lord's Supper. Now you say, does that happen today? I'm not sure we can say one way or the other. But it seems like if people were disobedient then and God corrected them, no, he would do so today because he does care for people. So the point of the passage, I don't think, is make sure you have every little sin fast up before you take a communion. I think the point of the passage is what's the relationship that we have with other believers? Are there divisions? If there are, Paul would say, Correct them. 
because the cup goes back to the blood of Christ. The bread goes back to the body of Christ. A single body, that is Christ had a single body from which he shed his blood. There's a single body today. Another single body of Christ. So I encourage you to just ponder what is being said. What's the purpose? What's the proclamation that is taking place in communion? And the impact of not following through on that. A challenge to think biblically about communion. And again, this is not being taught because I think we have a division but to take a passage that discusses communion, see what it says, understand the value or the purpose of communion, and then respond accordingly as we partake of communion in the future. Let's pray together. Father, as we study your word, we find that it is very applicable. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we know the Corinthians had a problem. And in grace and in love, you address it through Paul. You teach them through Paul again what was to be involved in the Lord's Supper, how it was to be conducted. And then you help them to correct that which was incorrect. May we as a body of believers here at Roaring Brook desire to live out the oneness that we have in Christ by being humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another, striving to maintain the unity of the Spirit. May this passage remind us of how you value unity and oneness. And just seek to be an encouragement and a blessing to one another. In light of what we have in Christ, as we at this time of year reflect on Christ and what he has done through his death and resurrection, may we have a growing understanding of who we are in Christ, what we have in him, live and share with others accordingly. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.